Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. So Renu, I am I'm sending you your script right now. Um, let me know if you see it. Yep. All right. Let's get a uh, a dramatic reading here. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Renu Rysom. By day, I'm a reporter for Politico, but by night, I'm the judge and jury for COVID court. <laughs> You have tricky questions about the virus or an unresolved dispute about COVID safety with a family member or a loved one or a coworker. <laughs> you tell me and I'll tell you who's right and who's wrong. Welcome to COVID Court. COVID Court. COVID Court. Renu, I think we have your uh, next career figured out here. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... I have to say I'm less qualified to give marital advice than I am to give COVID advice. Renu Ryasim, author of our Politico nightly newsletter and now judge and jury of COVID court, answers your questions about how to navigate the tricky and sometimes pretty frustrating day-to-day of the pandemic. We came up with Dear Nightly because, you know, we're almost a year into the pandemic. And what we've seen is that people have so many questions about how to square their everyday behavior with the scientific advice they're receiving. And it's really hard because the scientific advice has been this virus is very contagious, which it is. Um, It is deadly, which it is. We now have about half a million deaths in the country from COVID. Um, But we can't live our lives on lockdown for months and years on end. And so there are these everyday questions about how um, to do things that they love, whether or not it's safe to to travel or see people. Um, and these are these are important questions because um, there's another side to COVID, which is, um, of course, we're worried about the virus. We're also worried about our mental health, our emotional health. And so COVID court was a really attempt to say, let's try to guide people through how to socialize safely, how to do things safely, and kind of how to live out in the world, thinking about how to balance the risks that we take every single day with the activities that we still need to do um, in our lives. All right. Well, let's let's do some balancing. Are you ready to issue some rulings? I am ready to issue some rulings. COVID court. First up, we have Beth from Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Beth from Wayne, Pennsylvania. My mother-in-law has recently recovered from COVID-19. She has asked to come to visit our house and stay for a week. What is the risk to our household of her transmitting COVID-19 or a variant to our family? Thank you. So, Renu, um, is it okay for her mom, who who's already had COVID, to visit? Well, Jeremy, let me caveat um, all of this by saying I may be Judge Renu, but I am not a medical doctor. Um, <laughs> I'm not a virologist. I am just uh, somebody who has spoken to a lot of experts over the past year. And for these questions, I reached out to a couple of experts as well. Mm-hmm. And so this is my attempt to kind of distill their advice into something that you can use. But um, like I said earlier, every activity carries a risk. So please don't come back and blame me if um, 
something goes wrong. But when I reached out to um, to scientists, so for these questions today, I reached out to Pinar Kesenocek at Georgia Tech and Jeremy Camille at Louisiana State University. They both gave me their advice. And for this first question, for Beth's question, I got a couple of different answers. Jeremy said that usually, and I think this is a lot of the guidance I've heard, if it's been two weeks since you've been diagnosed with a positive test, um, then it's probably pretty unlikely that your mother-in-law can transmit the virus. And so if she had COVID and she recovered, it's been two weeks since she's had a positive test, then it's likely that she won't uh, be able to transmit the virus to you. And Pinar had a slightly different answer. And she said to wait from a couple of weeks after there are no symptoms. And so if you can wait, that's probably better to do so. Make sure that she's fully recovered. Make sure it's been a couple of weeks. And I think that that's probably the best kind of time frame that you can take to visit. All right. Next up, we have Judy from California. Hi, I'm Judy from Orange County, California. I want to go to Las Vegas with my son and grandson in March. I will be fully vaccinated by February 25th, and they both tested positive for the virus at the beginning of January. We plan to fly, but my sister-in-law thinks I'm crazy to put all of us at risk. We can drive if we have to. We're only four hours away by car. Is it much riskier to fly? Is it too risky to go at all? This is such a crazy question. I love that people are thinking about going to Vegas right now and like that's what she wants to do. Um, so there's like a lot of different aspects to this question. The central to her question is about the risk of flying versus driving. Um, so Pinar has actually done a lot of research on um, travel and air travel. And, um, and her take is that the transmission risk, um, the risk of getting COVID on an airplane is relatively low if everyone's wearing masks. But here's the big caveat again. And, and every, every one of these questions, unfortunately, comes with many, many caveats. Um, you can't control whether other people wear masks or not. And when you fly, um, there's a lot of mixing at airport shuttles, um, dining, the airport. So you're in contact with a lot of people. When you're driving, you can control the environment a little bit more. You might have to stop for bathroom breaks and things like that. But you have a little bit more control over the environment. Um, so, you know, yes, you can fly and the risk is not way higher than driving. But what you didn't ask about is, um, you know, the risks of what happens when you get to Vegas, which is... Yeah, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> you might be safe on the plane, but then you're in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, like, you know, you're going to be in casinos. You're going to be... Uh, mm. It's pretty... It, there's a lot of exposure. And so, you know, you said you'll be fully vaccinated and um, and that uh, your son and grandson have tested positive for the virus at the beginning of January. So you might be okay, actually, because, you know, you have a, a certain level of immunity. Um, if you're fully vaccinated, you should actually be fine. At least if you get sick, you will be hospitalized or die. That's what the vaccinations prevent. Mm -hmm. But then what about your sister-in-law? I mean, aren't you worried about transmitting the virus to her? Because that's still one of the risks um, with being vaccinated is that you may not get sick or be seriously hospitalized if you get COVID. But there's still some big questions about whether or not you can transmit it. And the same with your son and grandson. And so if I had to issue a ruling, I would say this seems like one of those trips that is just inherently full of a ton of risks. And so it might be something that's better to wait on. I guess you could say that about any trip to Vegas, regardless of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> if, if my trips to Vegas are any indication, yes, I think that's totally, <laughs> totally fair. All right. Last question we have here is Jennifer 
from New York. Um, let's hear what she has to ask. COVID court. My husband and I have, over the course of the summer, created a pod with my brother who lives next door so that we could interact without masks. Uh, last fall, we made it complete, and since then, none of us do any but essential shoppings. We don't socialize inside with anyone but each other, but lately, my brother and I would like to be able to connect in person with and perhaps provide some emotional support for family and a few friends, if we can all agree it's safe. Um, recently, Following our conservative protocols, we declined the option of an outdoor, distanced, and masked visit with a niece and her boyfriend from out of town who had both been tested and spent two weeks in quarantine. So going forward, I wonder, how do we balance COVID precautions with COVID fear and still respect my husband's concerns? So I feel like Jennifer is is struggling with something a lot of us are struggling with. It's like sort of how to balance coronavirus safety with like the necessity of, of having friends and family and seeing people. Um, wh what's your advice for her? This is one of the things I think we get the most questions about, which is, um, you know, I have a certain level of what I think is safe and somebody else has a certain level of what they think is safe. It's like... Mm -hmm. My husband once said to me, it's like, you know, when you're driving, you think everyone around you is either like too fast or too slow. <laughs> you <know>? Like <laughs> yeah. you think everyone around you is like an unsafe driver and you're going the perfect speed. Um, the reality <laughs> is, of course, there's like a range of behaviors that are safe and unsafe. Um, you know, I, I sympathize with this woman whose husband is super, super conservative. So there are reasons to be super conservative. If you are in a risk group where if you get covid it can be lethal to you. You have every right and reason to say, I do not want to take any kind of unnecessary risk. Um, but again, at the same time, it's hard for a lot of people to just live in total lockdown. Um, what I will say, almost all the, the virus experts I speak with feel like socializing outdoors is much safer than socializing indoors. Masks um, are much safer than not wearing masks. So it's not all or nothing. And I think not all behaviors are the same. Hanging out with somebody indoors face to face with no masks is like a thousand times riskier. That's like not a scientific number. That's just a, <laughs> that's just a valley girl number. It's like a million times um, riskier than being outdoors with somebody and masked. And so in this case, I think you should see your sister and you guys should wear masks um, and you should distance and you should be outdoors and you should be fine. And then when you come home, wash your hands. But, you know, this is as much a marital dispute as it, as it is one about COVID safety. And I think it requires sort of a conversation with your husband about his fears, um, what he's worried about. And I think the more you learn about how COVID's transmitted. So the guidelines are that you you know need to have face-to-face -face contact with somebody for an extended period of time. It's usually around 15 minutes. It could be, you know, that's not hard and fast either. And so, um, you know, if you're outside with somebody and you're maskless and you're face-to-face -face talking with them, that's that's risky. But like I said, if you guys are all outside, you're moving, you're masked, you remain distanced, that's a pretty it's a pretty safe environment. It's pretty hard for COVID to transmit in that environment. And so talking with your husband about minimizing risks and balancing your need to socialize with, you know, his need to protect himself, I think that's something that you need to work out with him and I am not <laughs> A marriage expert, uh, but it is definitely something that's really that's really hard to navigate, and I think you are not alone in um, 
these hard conversations you're trying to have with family and friends. It's interesting, like hearing that question and your answer to it, because I feel like it touches on the fact that this is sort of beyond like a public health crisis. And it's sort of something that touches on like every part of of everybody's lives. It has like crossover with basically every issue that people are dealing with. Totally. I mean, I think the more we know about COVID, the easier it is to kind of navigate these kinds of decisions. But this is a virus that is about a year old. Um, we're still learning so much about how it transmits um, and, you know, kind of what the risks are, what are safe behaviors and unsafe behaviors. And then, of course, you have these variants and these mutations that are changing the equation. And so I think for so many people out there, there's just this real level of confusion. And um, and I do feel like there's been just a lot of missing public health communication. I think what the message has been for so long is don't take any risks. And I think that's backfired over and over again because people just end up taking risks without sort of realizing that there are different levels of, um, of things you can do. But I think for this woman, when she's talking to her husband, you know, you have to talk about, well, we take risks in our lives. We get in our cars, we get on planes, we do a lot of things every single day that are risky. And um, definitely you want to minimize risks in your life and be safe. But I, you know, I believe, and this is my personal belief, that living a zero risk life is just, it's just not possible. Judge Renu, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Renu Ryasam is the author of the Politico Nightly newsletter, where she'll continue to answer more of your COVID court questions. Be sure to subscribe at politico.com slash nightly. Also today, Judge Merrick Garland is getting his second chance before senators. After being blocked by Republicans as former President Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court in 2016, He's set to appear before the Judiciary Committee today as President Biden's pick for attorney general. According to his prepared opening statement, Garland's expected to highlight his career as a prosecutor before taking the bench and emphasize his commitment to civil rights, telling senators, quote, If I am confirmed, serving as attorney general will be the culmination of a career I've dedicated to ensuring that the laws of our country are fairly and faithfully enforced. Despite being blocked from the high court in 2016, Garland is expected to receive broad bipartisan support for attorney general. And UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson says all British adults will be offered a first dose of the coronavirus vaccine by July 31st. Johnson made the announcement on Sunday, bumping the goal to a month earlier than the country's previous target. The UK currently has the highest vaccination rate in Europe and has administered more than 17.8 million doses since September, marking more than 25% of the country's population. Compare that to just under 13% of the population in the US. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Nerdcast, Politico Energy, and the Playbook Audio Briefing. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.